rise and shine. It's a beautiful day for a beautiful day. Be happy, be kind, always do your best. Think good and it will be good. I sprinkle positive messages to my kids and myself throughout the day. Why? Because studies show that we grow, flourish, and thrive when that is our environment. Alternatively, the effects of negativity in environment, language, and attitude can be permanently detrimental. It is not always easy to find the rainbows between the raindrops. So what if you are presented with an umbrella to shield you from the storms so you can spot the beauty more clearly? And that is what we are going to tackle today. Hi, I'm Suze, here with your weekly dose of culture, values, and identity, and where we tackle those topics others may consider off-limits. A little about me, I'm a busy Gen X mom who, quite frankly, wanted to grow up like the Brady Bunch, but how could I being raised in the shadow of Schindler's List? So this means I've spent a lifetime navigating these mixed messages we get hit with daily. You know those conversations where we wonder if it's safe to speak our minds. Can we share our experiences, voice our fears and concerns, or should we just keep our mouths shut? Well, too bad. I need to know. But I'm no expert, so I'm going to schmooze the experts and get their thoughts. Why? So when we engage with our kids, colleagues, or the countless committees we interact with, we can do it with competence, kindness, confidence, and maybe a bit of humor. If this sounds like your cup of coffee, welcome to Schmooze with Suze. Charitable nonprofits embody the best of America. They provide a way for people to work together for the common good, transforming shared beliefs and hopes into action. America's 1.3 million charitable nonprofits feed, heal, shelter, educate, inspire, enlighten, and nurture people of every age, gender, race, and socioeconomic status from coast to coast, border to border, and beyond. They foster civic engagement and leadership, drive economic growth, and strengthen the fabric of our communities every single day. They include companies formed for charitable, educational, scientific, religious, and literary purposes. But honestly, like, what is a nonprofit? And why do they want my time, talent, and treasure? Here to educate us is the Senior Director, Strategic Initiatives of the Nonprofit Center of Northeast Florida, Deirdre Connor. Hi, Deirdre. Thank you so much for having me, Susie. Thank you so much for being on. Can you explain what is a nonprofit? That is such a great question. Um, so, a nonprofit is just a type of company. And when we talk about nonprofits here in Northeast Florida and really around the country, most of the time we're referring to 501c3 tax-exempt charities, which is actually a legal designation from the Internal Revenue Service. Um, However, there are a lot of nonprofit organizations here in Northeast Florida that um, number approximately 15, or 15, uh uh-oh, sorry, got to read it. That's okay, pull your stats. There are a lot of nonprofit organizations here in Northeast Florida. We have approximately 1,500 990 filers and approximately 8,000 organizations that have that designation from the IRS, but mainly are not generating any more than $50,000 a year in annual revenue. Okay. So I'm still a little unclear. What is the difference between somebody who sells something that's from a nonprofit versus from 
another store? Great question. So I think one way to think about a nonprofit organization, a 501c3 tax-exempt charity, is that it exists to benefit the community. It's not owned by any one person or group of persons. It has a non-distribution aspect, which means that the benefits and the profits that are generated by that organization are plowed back into improving the community in, like you said, any number of ways. And so while there are a lot of different ways of making a positive impact on the community, the way that 501c3 tax-exempt charities do that is by generating revenue that is plowed into a specific mission. Uh-huh. So it's not just about the keychain. It's that the keychain that I'm purchasing from a non-for-profit will then help to replant that same money into this same community. Correct. So there's, it, yeah. there's an actually an organization in our community that sells keychains. Oh, really? Rethreaded. Yes. <laughs> Rethreaded. That's an excellent example. Can you talk about that type of um, organization? Because I've seen a lot of social media events that they have here in town. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about nonprofit engagement. You can't typically go to um, Old Navy and say, today I want to volunteer to fold your sweaters. And they're going to be like, yes, come in and volunteer to fold our sweaters. I'm sure they'd love that. <laughs> I'm sure they would not, because if I fall, I'll sue them. It'll be a problem. However, at Rethreaded, I frequently receive invitations from other agencies and other partnership businesses who are encouraging me to give back. So talk to me about the relationship between the community and these agencies or organizations. Yeah. Um, so a nonprofit, as as we just discussed, is a tax status, but not a business model. So you see organizations generate revenue in a wide variety of areas. What makes Rethreaded different than Old Navy is that Rethreaded takes the profits that are generated from selling items that are made by their employees and puts it into training. They work specifically to help folks who have been um, victims of human trafficking mm. or in other ways um, really challenged in their lives. Mm -hmm. And so the profits that are generated from their keychains or other products is not uh, put into the pockets of shareholders the way it would be with a for-profit company, but instead are plowed back into the workers who uh, work there, other outreach programming that they have, and generally making our community a better place to live. So what resources does the nonprofit center offer, for example? Yeah, so um, our mission at the Nonprofit Center is to connect, strengthen, and advocate for a strong nonprofit community. And that looks like a lot of different things. Um, we do have classes for folks who want to start a nonprofit. Um, and then we have quite a few items that we do for our existing members, which are about 350 across the region. Um, that's everything from workshops and trainings on things like, how do I decide where my revenue is going to come from? Or how do I strengthen my leadership team? Um, and we also do research and advocacy for the sector because we want people to know that not only is this a huge force for social good, but it's also a big economic driver in our community. Okay. So prior to this position, you have a history here in Jacksonville as a journalist. I love journalists intimately. <laughs> Because they are intimately aware of the needs of the greater community. Nobody gets into it quite like a journalist does. So how does this help you to navigate what ways we can use all of our available resources to overcome long-time obstacles? Great question. Yes, I worked as a journalist here in Jacksonville covering nonprofits and, and education. And um, 
eventually decided it was time to get off the sidelines and start playing on the field. So um, <laughs> I went to work for the Jacksonville Public Education Fund, um, advocating for better quality public schools, mm. and then uh, joined the nonprofit center where I got to work with some of the same colleagues that I used to reach out to as sources. Northeast Florida's nonprofits are an engine that builds a more vibrant and inclusive community. And we all work towards making this a better place to live for everyone. You have a new campaign that really resonates with me. Believe in the good. It's a campaign for our region's nonprofits to use as they build community support, recruit volunteers, attract new supporters, and highlight the good that happens when people become part of the nonprofit community. Can you tell us more about this initiative? How did it start and what does its journey look like? Well, thank you so much. Yes, um, the campaign started in the fall and it was really time to coincide with the Nonprofit Center's 20th anniversary. Congratulations. Yes, it's really wonderful and it's hard to imagine that the community could have existed before the Nonprofit Center, um, but it really came out of a community study, knowing that there was a need to advocate for the needs of the nonprofit sector and to gather the community together to really step into its power. So the Believe in the Good campaign stemmed from um, that anniversary and also a public opinion poll that we worked with the University of North Florida on. Um, and it really found that the community believes in the nonprofit sector, believes in the good that the nonprofit sector creates. And we really <clears throat> wanted to harness that message to help people know that, hey, if you're feeling a little bit down about the state of the world, if you are looking to connect with others in a really positive way, there is a place for you in our sector. And um, Believe in the Good is really meant to both uplift folks who are already working in the sector and to recruit more folks to join us, whether it be joining the staff, volunteering, or even joining a board of directors. Interesting. So let's talk about how someone can become a participate become a participant in this movement. When you say join, um, I saw on your website you have some different resources. Can you list some of them? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we have a member directory. So if you just want to understand more about who's out there in the landscape and what types of work they do, you can go to nonprofitctr.org and look at our member directory. Mm-hmm. Um, or you can go to nonprofitctr.org slash believe and kind of get connected to all of these different resources. We also have a really popular job board and we encourage folks to check that oh. out. Yeah, because you could have skills that you're using right now in your job that could really be beneficial to a nonprofit organization. So there's a lot of opportunities. We really encourage folks to check that out. And um, there's also a board bank for folks who are interested in taking their volunteer leadership um, into a new direction. Um, Folks who are really interested in democratic processes and governance and supporting organizations with high quality leadership. Um, we have a board bank for folks to understand what types of openings are available for boards of directors. Oh, it's really beautiful. There's a high correlation between lack of purpose and mental health issues these days. Um, more and more studies are, are showing this. Um, so leading us to your agency, fantastic. It's purpose-driven, number one. Just the messaging, be the good, right? Believe in the good. Believe in the good. Yes. I'm the be the good, right? <laughs> Do good, be good. That's a mantra in my house. So let's talk about the health of nonprofits in Northeast Florida. The economy is what the economy is. How does that impact what people want to do mission driven work you know they usually say you don't do it for the income you do it for the outcome which sounds expensive 
So, <laughs> so I think there's a few things to think about. First is the impact of the pandemic. It really can't be overstated. Mm. Um, on the one hand, there were some um, federal relief and even some philanthropic relief programs that helped shore up organizations who were would have otherwise probably closed. Um, and that has kept some organizations vital and strong into this current moment. Um, on the other hand, we saw from our poll that fewer people are reporting volunteering and donating. That's not a big surprise, knowing what we know about how the pandemic affected not only our economy today, but also the patterns in which we engage with each other. And so um, organizations are in this process of re-engaging with potential constituents, re-engaging with their community and thinking about what does our business model look like going into the future Um is it the same as it was? Is our way of business fundamentally changed? Um, and we actually have a lot of research on our website as well about how organizations fared during the COVID-19 pandemic. And so as we kind of move into this next phase, um, you see organizations doing things like revitalizing their strategic plans or maybe completely redoing them. Um, you see organizations thinking about how to empower the next generation of leaders and um, a lot of other trends like that. How... When we look at the landscape of Jacksonville and Northeast Florida's philanthropies and nonprofits, how personal versus greater good are they, would you say? Say more about that. Meaning, if it's a, if it's a small personal religious affiliated or a small educational ideology versus the greater Jacksonville or greater Northeast Florida... Is there, because anybody could be a nonprofit, like you said, do we really need all these nonprofits is a great question that you asked and that you, in fact, have the opportunities and resources to answer. Because what you said is not everybody who has a great idea and wants to do good things needs to be a nonprofit. So if we look at your member directory, um, while there's personal issues like pets, you know, a particular breed, there's always these breed selective as opposed to greater good. How does that work? Does that make a difference? Awesome question. Um, so we hear a lot. There's too many nonprofits. There's so many nonprofits. Um, but actually, like in our region, the number of nonprofits per capita um, is exactly the same as the nation's average. So we have a very average number of nonprofits here. Um, and I think that when it comes to what they do, you're kind of asking, like, how many of them are working at a system-wide, region-wide level? Yeah, and then how many of them are working you know, kind of on the starfish theory, like every, you know, impact looking to impact individual lives. And I would say that optimally organizations may be doing both. So you may see an organization that is directly serving individuals who are having challenges in their lives or working to improve their lives in a specific way, or maybe a life of a pet or something like that. But also they can advocate for, um, you know, ending the reasons why they exist in the first place. And so we see a lot of organizations starting to do more of that advocacy, which nonprofits are legally allowed to do. They can endorse a candidate for office, but they can support legislation. They can raise awareness about key issues. They can educate lawmakers and elected leaders. And we really encourage that. That's so interesting. Back in the day, I don't know if I'm older than you. So back in the day, we were always saving the whales. Right? We were saving the whales until we found out it affected our tuna eating. And so all of a sudden, we started to decide that we were saving more, more cute animals and less of the ugly animals. So no offense to the ugly animals. But like you said, people say there's so many nonprofits, right? Because essentially, it just means that there's only one pie that every nonprofit is asking for their resources from. When we make donations on a national scale, there is ways to look at how much of that money gets used 
for going back to the community versus administrative. Does the same apply with your agencies as well? So I want to talk about one thing that you said, which is like, there's a limited pie. And on some level, that may be true. But what we've seen from the research is that when the sector is strengthened and grows, that the pie actually expands. So I think that while each individual family may have like a finite amount that they can invest in nonprofit organizations, there's actually potentially a larger pie that could be out there. Um, And you're seeing organizations start to work together in really cool and interesting ways, not only to maximize the resources that they do have, but also to increase the visibility of the work that they do and really grow the pie. So collaboration sort of takes more in because you're growing your network of who your audience is, right? I may have more people that don't know of you, but once we're partnered up, now both of us are getting more. Absolutely. And I think there are there's a growing understanding that the way that capital, whether it's human capital or financial capital, is allocated in our sector is you know, reflective of our overall world and our overall society and which is there are inequities and that need to be um, identified and rectified. And so as we see from our poll, about 77% of people believe that nonprofits create a fairer and more just community. And so there are a lot of opportunities to both capitalize organizations that have been doing incredible work for many, many years without a ton of support, and there are ways to shore up some of our core and fundamental organizations that are providing services that otherwise the government might have to provide, otherwise would not be provided at all. That's a very interesting point. Can you give us an example of something like that? Uh, Yeah. So um, an example might be uh, an example of undercapitalized organizations or an example of um, governmental subsidization. Yeah. Where you're picking up the slack more or less. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a few things like that. Um, So one example is we have a children's services council here in Jacksonville called the Kids Hope Alliance. Mm -hmm. It's a government agency and it's charged with um, uh, being the organization that looks out for kids outside of the school day. The Kids Hope Alliance and the government could not actually provide after school programs and summer camps. And so they rely on nonprofit organizations to provide those really vital vital services mm. so that kids have a safe place to be after yeah. school and, and during the summer. Um, another example, the the Women's Center of Jacksonville, WCJ, mm-hmm. they provide all kinds of services to survivors of sexual assault that otherwise the government would be charged with providing or maybe people wouldn't receive at all. Um, so there are quite a few organizations in our community that are providing really vital services on behalf of the government and are doing so um, with really significant constraints on their finances. So I just want to recap what I heard was that without these necessary nonprofits, for example, the Kids Hope Alliance and the Women's Center of Jacksonville, if those kids or those women or families needed assistance, it would be incumbent on the government that is already heavily taxed upon without the ability and the resources and probably the sensitivity and empathy to handle those particular tasks. And through the partnership and collaboration with the Nonprofit Center of Northeast Florida, there are children who are afforded after-school care or before-school care. There are women or people who are subjected to domestic violence abuse who need services and they're getting them from the adequately trained professionals and it's an outsourced entity that the government partners with you 
so that the right skilled people are managing these matters. Yes, I would clarify that the Kids Hope Alliance is actually the government agency, right? And they are distributing, um, uh, you know, funds to some of the nonprofit service providers, like right? Communities and schools, or you know, other folks right. who provide those services. And um, but it's not that the Kids Hope Alliance is the actual teacher babysitter in correct. the school. Yes. They're the payroll that's going into your local places. Yes. Who are actually providing the services. And if those local places did not exist, then they can have the name Hope Kids Alliance all they want. They would have no place to send that check to and no children would have a place to be. Correct. Is that correct? Does that sound accurate? Yes, that's correct. Same thing with the Women's Center of Jacksonville. There is a possibility they could end up in a state medical facility to be treated during those circumstances. Do we think that that's ideal? No. Is there a better opportunity? Yes. How does that happen when we reach into our nonprofit sector and find the humanity that exists in our communities. So speaking back to that pie um, of limited resources, right? So the way I look at it is not necessarily that it's limited resources per se. I think the way I've always looked at it is that we're always preaching to the choir. That's why it feels like it's limited because I'm always talking to people who feel like I do and they're probably writing checks to the same place I'm writing checks to or volunteering grassroots at the same place I am. So how can we, me and you, engage those other community members in those other environments who also want to participate in helping They just don't know how. They might be woke, but they're not awake enough to know how to find these resources. Yeah, that's a great question. I think that's the fundamental challenge that not only our organization faces, but also all of our members and nonprofits throughout the community, especially in this time where folks have become somewhat disconnected, both from their neighborhoods and from other folks that they know. Um, And so there's a few aspects of it. The Mm. first is that folks need to be aware of the media landscape, which I know you're very aware of, and it's much more fragmented than it used to be. So podcasts like this one and social media, um, in addition to our legacy media outlets, those are all really important ways to um, connect with individuals, Mm. really meet them where they are. And our poll, for anyone who wants to check it out, does have some information on where people get their um, information about nonprofits from and their news from. Um, there's also an, an aspect to which organizations have to think about their investments somewhat differently than in the past. The fact is that when it comes to their investment of time and sometimes even financial resources, raising funds from folks who can make larger gifts is um, kind of the best return on investment mm-hmm. from a short-term standpoint. Um, but there's a lot of work that remains to be done on building up a wide and broad group of supporters, not only for future financial support, but also for that advocacy, for that um, uh, community support where organizations are looking to kind of leverage the knowledge and skills of their volunteers and their, their overall supporters to make it so that maybe there are some things that they do now that if there was a policy change, they wouldn't have to do anymore. Ah, excellent. So step one, educate about the issue. Step two, act. Step three, advocate. Step four, educate. Step five, lather, rinse, repeats. Just finds new steps and new solutions to new objections. Yeah. 
Do you love your job? I do. It's a lot of fun. What's your favorite part of your job? Um, my favorite part of my job is actually learning about all of the creative solutions that folks are coming up with. So when I have a chance to really connect with organizations, learn about um, new and innovative things that they're doing, learn about the ways that they're specifically uh, making a difference, it's really, really energizing. It is passion building for sure. What events and activities do you have lined up for people to engage in and attend or someplace that you'll be where they can find you and ask those questions like, what's a nonprofit? <laughs> so we actually have a how to start a nonprofit seminar coming up um, later this month. And we do May suggest- 9th. I think it's May 9th. I think Thank I you. even registered. Oh, fantastic. Yes. Yeah, she um, wanted to tell me why I should take it so that I should know that I don't need to be a nonprofit, <laughs> which by the way, was the first greatest piece of helpful advice that the nonprofit center gave me. Thank you. She said, you don't have to be a nonprofit to be helper. You just need to get out there and do it. And that was great. We do that seminar for that exact reason, because sometimes people think to make a difference in this community, I have to start a nonprofit organization. And we want people to know that you don't have to do that. If you want to, if that's your calling, awesome, pursue it. But there's so many ways to, to plug in. Um, and then we have um, an exciting conference coming up in September um, called Nonprofit Works. Ooh. And um, we're, we're super excited to announce our keynote speaker hopefully really soon. Oh, I'm so excited. Who's the halftime show? <laughs> <laughs> if you have any connections, we're open to hearing them. <laughs> you, I will keep you on my radar for sure. Awesome, for awesome. sure. So um, upcoming events and you have some great programs. And I will say that I'm going to hit your job board up because I'm looking for a job. So great. I'm going to get on there and see if there's anything that's of interest and I encourage everybody else to go to your website. What's your website? Nonprofitctr.org Excellent. Thank you so much, Deirdre. Do you have any questions for me? No. Uh, <laughs> Susie, thank you so much for this opportunity to talk about our incredible sector and um, like I said if you aren't sure how to connect, I would encourage folks to reach out to me or to any one member of our team and we'll get you um, signed up with the, right, with the right path. Fantastic. I'm looking forward to it. And now it's time for our honorable mention. Mensch is the Yiddish word for a person of integrity and honor with a sense of what is right and responsible. When I think of people who are always doing something for the outcome and the greater good here in Jacksonville, the first name that comes to mind is this week's honorable Mensch, Isabel Ballatin. With the passion and purpose of, well, of a Jewish mother, Isabel made it her mission to engage the community by creating the original Shalom Jacksonville. There is not a family in town who has been untouched intentionally or inadvertently and been made better by Isabel. What seems like a scary and uncertain place was just a new environment to make new friends after Isabel worked her magic. These days, Isabel is advocating for the character development of our city's youth, passionately pursuing justice for the Jewish people and the state of Israel, and making sure we all do our part to make Jacksonville better. And for that, Izzy rocks. If you know of someone who is the kind of mensch who should get an honorable mention, send me a note at schmoozewithsuz.org or drop me a line on Instagram. That's going to do it for us today. Thanks for sticking around. Make sure to subscribe to Schmooze with Suze on YouTube and follow me on Instagram to get your daily dose of chutzpah. I'm Suze, your well-informed smartass who's not afraid to stand up and speak out. Because what's an envelope if not for pushing? 
Hey, stay inspired and inspiring.